0: So I started by saying today is like one of my favorite days. Um, It's also a terrifying day for me because I consider myself a fairly educated person. But whenever Dr. McGrew joins us, I'm always afraid that you guys are going to go like, yeah, Rick should not be here. Like he is not near smart enough. So I was just talking to him. He's uh, um, He's a professor of philosophy at Western. And I said... Now, I heard that you were interested in astrophysics. And he said, yeah, he wasn't sure if he wanted to do astrophysics or poetry. He, like, ended in the middle. And I'm like, man, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, it it was nowhere near those areas. But today's an important day because he goes through and, and does a lot of apologetic stuff for us. So it, it's learning why we believe what we believe. So with so much deconstruction out there, it's... It, people are leaving their faith because they don't know what it's founded on and they don't understand how real it is and so we get this great honor of having Dr. McGrew with us where he gets to show us some of this stuff so buckle up it's it's a heavy day and my brain will be hurting when I leave Um, so there's definitely some like Tylenol in my future but it's it's exciting to have him here so let's welcome Dr. McGrew.
1: So much for managing expectations. <laughs> so the bottles of Tylenol will be set out as you're leaving. So we will tr- we'll tr- we'll try not to do that to you. When Pastor Doug got a hold of me and said, "Hey, uh, would you be willing to do something for us?" I said, "Sure." And then my brain caught up with the rest of me, and I said, "What did you want me to do?" And he said, "You know, we're at a point where we need to talk about the question." how we got our new testament and so that's the uh that's the goal here is to try to talk about that i like to start these talks usually with an epigraph some verse drawn from scripture and i couldn't think of anything better here than something that peter says in second peter 1 16 he's talking to people in a church that is undergoing persecution and much of the letter is An attempt to tell them how to bear up under the pressures they're facing. Christianity is a wonderful thing to us, but to many people in the Roman Empire, Christianity was mysterious and distasteful, and there was a lot of animosity directed at the Christians. And they must have wondered sometimes, why are we putting up with all of this? And what Peter says here is, you know, we have not followed cunningly devised, fables he knew that there were people out there who said what you believe is just a bunch of fairy tales wishful thinking made up by people who didn't know any better and peter says no we were eyewitnesses this is not just the baseless fabric of a vision this is not mass hysteria we speak of what we see and of what we know and that's a message that's repeated throughout the new testament And yet, you may be wondering if someone were to challenge you and say, why this holy book? Over there, they use the Book of Mormon. And over there, they use the Quran, And over there, way over there, they use the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads. Why the Bible? Why these books, these gospels, these letters? Why this stuff? And that is what we want to cover today. When I spoke with Pastor Doug, I said, okay, tell me exactly what you want to be covered. And he said, all right, I'd like three questions answered. So we're going to do those three questions. The first one is, how did we get these books in our New Testament? We have 27 books. They're collected into a single volume, often part two of a full Bible. It's got 39 books of the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament as well. But how did these arise? When did people write them? Who wrote them? Second, what about the other books that didn't make it into the New Testament? How many of you have heard of the other Gospels, like Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Mary, Gospel of Peter, Gospel of whatnot? Yeah, what about those? We'll talk about that. And finally, why does it matter? Right, you're, you're going about your life, you're going about your business. Why does this matter to me? Why do I need to know this? So I said to Pastor Doug, I will cover these things in order, just like that. So let's talk about the first question. How did we get these books in our New Testament? How did these come to be the ones that we take as inspired and authoritative and as our rule of life? Who wrote them? We have names attached to them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but how do we know that these are the people who wrote these books? It's not an unreasonable question. We would ask it about some new manuscript that we found pulled on a sheet of papyrus out of the sands if we were lucky enough to have it endure that long when were they first collected and who pulled them together and said these books these are important and why were they put together into this collection that we call the new testament let's trace out these questions and let's see if we can come up with reasonable answers now, one or two of you out there are geeks. That's probably the right proportion for a group this size, about 2%, I'm going to guess. So you may be wanting to take notes, and then suddenly you may say, oh no, there's way too much material here, I'm drinking out of a fire hose. And if that is your worry, I've given all of these slides to the bright people in the church. You can have them all. And in particular, there's one that's going to come up. It's a chart because I'm a professor. So, of course, there's a chart, right? And I do not expect you to make all the little boxes and all the little marks and everything. That chart is available as a separate document, and it's got a really cool feature. I'll talk about that when I get there. So if you're a geek, if you're the kind of person who says, you know, I might want to have this stuff permanently, we've got you covered, and you do not have to pull out the auxiliary pencil after the first one runs out of lead you should be okay all right so who wrote the gospels well how do we find out who wrote any ancient document we ask when do we have it attested as to who wrote it and how far after the time was that so i'll give you an example Thucydides, is a greek historian died around the year 400 he wrote a history of the peloponnesian war in greece And we don't get our attestation of authorship until the middle of the 100s BC, a good 250 years later. There's another writer named Polybius. He's the first person we've got who says, you know, that history was written by Thucydides. And every historian says, oh, good, we have somebody. 250 years afterwards, and for ordinary secular history, That's good enough to establish authorship. So who do we have who talks about the authorship of our books in our New Testament? Well, it turns out that we have a bunch of people. Tertullian living in North Africa in Carthage, Clement living in Alexandria, Irenaeus living in what we would today designate as part of France, Justin Martyr and Papias of Hierapolis. So we have a whole bunch of these guys. We're going to run through some of these this is one of the reasons why i told you don't even try to take the notes just get the slides what does tertullian tell us so he's writing about the year 200 the gospels were pulled together sometime in the first century so he's 100 to 150 years later what does he say the gospels he says were written by matthew and john who were apostles and luke and mark who were apostolic men you leaf through your copy of the new testament and you say You know what? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the names that are on them. Mark's gospel, he tells us, was a record of Peter's preaching. So Mark was not himself an eyewitness of many of these things, but he followed Peter around, heard Peter preaching, and he wrote these things down. Now, if you read the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Mark does not say, this is the preaching of Peter as I heard it. It just starts right in with, john the baptist and the prophecy of his coming and moves right into that so how do we know that well i have a friend who has actually spoken here at lighthouse at a conference that we had some years back he is a cold case homicide detective his name is j warner wallace and jim was not raised christian he came to christianity as an adult and one of the reasons that he did is that he is an expert in what is called forensic statement analysis. When someone is giving testimony, maybe someone was a witness or someone's a suspect, they take down very carefully what this person said, and then the police have developed techniques of analyzing the statements and finding information that maybe the person wasn't intending to communicate, but they they pull it out. He figured he would pull the plug on all this Christianity nonsense by taking the gospel of Mark and doing forensic statement analysis on it. Well, guess what? Without having any background in biblical studies, without reading commentaries, he just said, sat down and said, I got my pens. I'm going to highlight stuff. I'm going figure, to figure out where this came from. And he wound up saying, there's one unified perspective that's coming through here. This is coming from a source very close up to it, and that source, as far as I can determine, just from forensic statement analysis, is Peter. He lay in bed one night, remember, not a Christian yet, staring at the ceiling in the darkness. Finally, his wife was not asleep yet either. He just finally said into the darkness, I, I I think it may be true. So Tertullian tells us something that independently we can also get by doing a detailed examination of the Gospels. They tell us the same basic facts, all four of these Gospels, about Jesus, including his virgin birth and his fulfillment of prophecy. And important point, Tertullian says, from antiquity. Now he's at 207, right? That's got to go back a couple generations if he's saying from antiquity. They bore the names of these authors and the ancient churches vouched for them and no others. Pause for a minute to think about how strange this is. When you die, how many biographies of you will be written? For the overwhelming majority of the human race, the answer is zero. And we even live in a world where we can spread information at the touch of a button, right? We've got the internet, we can put something up and somebody else can see it. How many biographies of you will be written? Because we've got four biographies of a Jewish peasant. That is crazy. If you study ancient history, you will find that ancient history is almost entirely confined to telling us about rulers, military leaders, and a few public intellectuals, people like Socrates. And other than that, people don't get biographies, but we've got four biographies vouched for by the ancient churches bearing the names of their authors from ancient times all of this one guy that's that's nuts that's really really good as far as what we're looking at but that's tertullian he's writing a little after the year 200 can we go backwards in time yeah clement of alexandria is writing in egypt on the eastern edge of the uh, north shore or the the north side of the continent of africa he says mark wrote his gospel by request from his knowledge of peter's preaching at rome so now we got an additional detail that clement tells us it was when peter went to rome and preached that mark was taking notes and composing his gospel from that matthew and luke published first they are the gospels containing the genealogies sure enough you open up your bible matthew chapter one luke chapter three you get the genealogy of jesus traced back through i would say and many scholars would agree joseph's ancestry on the one side and mary's ancestry on the other finally john's gospel was the last one to appear and it was written at the urging of his friends so completely compatible with what tertullian is saying but A few more details a little bit different doesn't look like he's simply repeating like Tertullian isn't repeating what Clement said how about Irenaeus now he's way over in Lyon in modern day France he says Matthew's gospel was the first one written so far agreement there with Clement then he goes on he says it was originally written in the Hebrew dialect probably Aramaic the spoken language of the Jewish people in Palestine mark a disciple of peter handed down in his gospel what peter had preached telling us something completely consistent with what we've heard luke a companion of paul okay there's a little extra about luke recorded in a book the gospel preached by him so luke's gospel is a gospel in which we are told he is recapitulating things that he heard in the preaching of paul and john the disciple of the lord published a gospel while living at Ephesus in Asia. Again, a little bit more information, but a consistent picture. What does Justin Martyr tell us? Now we've moved back to the year 150. The Christians, he says, possessed memoirs of Jesus, which were also called gospels. Check. These were written by apostles and by those who were their followers. Justin doesn't go on to name them, but it's a perfectly consistent picture with everything else that we know they tell us of such events as the visit of the magi at jesus birth which gospel is that in come on sword drill time matthew yay all right somebody gets the gold star for the day uh, and his agony in gethsemane justin had a pupil named tatian and tatian produced a diatessaron. he produced a single recorded a uh, composition that reflected parts of all four of the gospels put into a single narrative it used to be argued back in the 19th century by learned german scholars who knew much 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 more than we know that whatever this diatessaron was it could not have included the gospel of john even though tessera means four but it couldn't have been our gospel of John because they said that gospel wasn't written yet. That didn't exist. So whatever it was that Tatian wrote, and it was lost at that time, it couldn't have included John. Maybe, maybe Matthew, Mark, Luke, but John, John was written later. So they said. Well, eventually we found not just one copy, but several copies of Tatian's diatester. And guess what the opening line is? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. I think we found the gospel of John here. Yeah, so much for the learned professors, and I speak as a professor. Don't be overawed by people who have lots of alphabet soup over their names. That doesn't really tell you whether they know what they're talking about. It may tell you that they're very clever, in a certain sense of clever. But use your common sense. Often it's a much better guide to what's really going on. the ideas of people who are super super smart whatever that means papius now we're back to 125 and we have only fragments preserved of what papius wrote but in those fragments we're told papius claimed that mark having been the interpreter of peter it's not exactly clear what's meant by interpreter does he mean he translated what Peter was saying into some language for the purposes of preaching? Sometimes when I have spoken for groups that don't have English as their first language, somebody will translate. So I'll say a sentence, and then I have to slow myself down because I'm a professor, and I tend to talk quickly and go on and on, and that sentence will get repeated in Spanish or some other language. Whether that's what is meant or not, The connection with peter is there and he wrote down what peter had preached accurately though not necessarily in order that's what papius says now we're back to 125 matthew wrote the logia the oracles uh the sayings of jesus in the hebrew language or dialect which would again probably be aramaic so papius is telling us that too now here's the point where we're going to do a little geography lesson and i realize right what's the common saying americans don't know geography but stick with me on this this one's quick okay here's a map and the blue stuff is water way over here on the eastern rim of the mediterranean sea is modern day palestine that's the dead sea down there so this is israel and then jordan And Saudi Arabia this is Egypt and what I want you to notice from this is not like draw the map because there will be a quiz I just want you to reflect for a moment on a world without Wikipedia a world where you can't just say well I don't know let me see what somebody else across the globe said and pull it up okay because here's Irenaeus up in modern day France. There's Justin Martyr writing in Rome, way over here is Tertullian in Carthage, Clement's down here in Alexandria, and Papius is over in modern day Turkey, and they're all giving us a consistent account of the same report regarding our gospels. They don't all have the same details. If it were just one local group, you might worry, well, I don't know, you know, maybe they're in asia minor they kind of some rumors grew up and that all the people in asia minor agreed on these rumors but other people didn't know anything about it no not so we have an amazing geographical spread from every quarter of the roman empire and they're all telling us consistently these are the gospels when they name them they give them the names we're familiar with they tell us some details about these people and you can't ignore evidence like that the geographic distribution matters because nobody can cross check and say oh i better make sure i'm saying the same stuff clement is saying how do you know gonna travel from france to egypt that's a that's a big trip people didn't have encyclopedias they didn't have anything that we would recognize as libraries where they had documentation of all these things you had to go there if you wanted it or you had to talk to somebody who knew and yet here we have this consistent picture spreading around the entire roman empire all around the rim of the mediterranean sea which is the big sea there in the middle you can see italy here right how many of you remember at least this much from geography italy is the boot and sicily is the soccer ball we remember this okay Right, just checking so in a summary the attestation of authorship for the gospels is early it's clear it's geographically diverse coming from every quarter of the roman empire we get tertullian in carthage clement in alexandria irenaeus in france papius over in modern day turkey justin martyr in modern day italy and they're all giving us a consistent picture but that's only four books right when were these documents first collected well a collection of 13 of paul's letters start counting your, in your head right romans 1 corinthians second corinthians galatians ephesians philippians 2. go ahead count them up 13 of paul's letters circulated early and was called the apostle so in a single book they put together copies of 13 of paul's letters and they sent these copies around fun fact When you think of a book, you think of something that you open up, it's got a spine where they're held together, you open it up, and then there's writing on the left side and writing on the right side. So for every individual leaf of that book, every individual sheet of paper, there's writing on both sides. That is what we call a codex. The Christians were the first people to make heavy use of the codex as a way of creating a volume because it's economical you economize on your writing paper right whether it's papyrus or some kind of vellum you are using up both sides of it so that you can send it around efficiently so the letters of paul 13 of them were collected and circulated in a volume called the apostle so these writers when they are speaking they appeal to paul's letters just like a modern preacher would they quote from them and they quote from them in a way that shows they expect that this will be recognized that people are familiar with it and that they will accept it as authoritative that's how they use paul's letters same way that we use paul's letters today they don't even bother to offer a defense to say ah now you know we want to say this was written by the apostle paul everybody knew it was written by the apostle paul there was no need for them to get defensive about it they just quoted it this is what paul wrote to the church at corinth so they must have circulated by the early part of the second century at least and that's within the lifetimes of some people who had known the original apostles john died in his extreme old age in the 90s so if by the early 100s these are circulating as a group of letters, then people who were alive and could have known John are still alive as these are going around. Near the end of the first century, Clement of Rome, not Clement of Alexandria now, but an earlier person who was a bishop in Rome in the first century, he clearly refers to the opening passage of 1 Corinthians. He tells the Corinthians Take the epistle of the blessed Paul into your hands. Pick it up. You've got a copy right there, right? He assumes that they will have no trouble laying their hands on a copy of it. And he says, See what Paul said about divisions among you? Don't do that, guys. A collection of the Gospels also circulated very early. It was called the Good News or sometimes the Evangelical Holy Scriptures, evangelical meaning good news. Justin Martyr, middle of the second century, speaks of the memoirs which were drawn up by the apostles and their companions. And he says those memoirs, or the writings of the prophets, those would be Old Testament writers, are read aloud in the churches every Sunday. Every Sunday we get up and we read passages from these, then we explain them as best we can. And that's the practice in all of the churches now justin martyr had traveled quite a bit he was based frequently in rome but he had gone around to much of the roman empire he knew what the practice of the churches was in various places and he said this is what we do in all the churches we read these things but we can go back further aristides was a philosopher gotta love him living in athens And he wrote an apology to the Emperor Hadrian. So Hadrian reigned between 118 and his death in 138. And Aristides clearly implies that if the Emperor wants to know more about Jesus, he says you can learn more about him in the evangelical holy writings. So if you want to, you can lay a hand on a copy of that. He assumes that's widespread. The Emperor will have no trouble going down to the local equivalent of Barnes and Noble, except there wasn't a local equivalent of Barnes and Noble. But the Emperor can lay his hands on a copy of this it's circulated widely so aristides writing perhaps in the 120s says you yeah, know this is everywhere you can get this so that's our four gospels and a collection of the letters of paul what about the other books well acts has a similar attestation to the gospels it's kind of what you would expect what's acts a continuation of which gospel is like acts part 2 of luke luke, luke. i have a dear friend brilliant guy who is very interested in arguments from nature for the existence of God, but I was talking with him once and he looked me in the eye and he said, I'm not a Christian because of these arguments. I'm a Christian because of Luke. Luke is the one who nailed it down historically. Some of you may have heard of a historian who taught for 50 years at Western Michigan University paul meyer how many of you have heard the name of paul meyer paul was a colleague of mine until his retirement he sat across the table at lunch with me one day he looked me in the eye and he said luke is the most accurate ancient historian i have ever read and he had read them all and translated them so his word was very significant on that subject well but not every book has the same level of attestation. Hebrews was universally acknowledged as being a book with apostolic authority, but there was some uncertainty as to who wrote it. The thoughts seem to be the thoughts of Paul. The style and language seemed to be the style and language of someone highly educated like Luke. Well, Luke and Paul were traveling companions. Starting with Acts chapter 16, you'll see that... Paul's going on his travels, and suddenly instead of he or they, it says we. At that point, Luke's with Paul, and for most of the remainder, you get this first-person plural. We did this, and we traveled there, and we did this other thing. Some of the other letters had less wide circulation, but they were quoted and acknowledged by the people to whom they were sent. This is especially important when it comes to things like 2 Peter which has less external attestation, but where do you find people confidently quoting from it? In Asia Minor, where it was directed, where it was sent. So not all of them circulated in early collections, but when we find them, we find them in the hands of the people who said, this is what we received. They're in the proper place for the people to whom they were sent. A few of them were disputed by a few people and it's really interesting that when eusebius writes his church history he tells us james second peter second and third john jude revelation there were some people who were worried about it some people didn't like what seemed to be the eschatology of the book of revelation so there were some disputes but when the church got together to say okay let's just standardize this There was a broad grassroots recognition of all of these, including the ones that were disputed by a few people. But they were careful to mark down, you know, in a couple of cases, there were some arguments about it, but the weight of the evidence was on the side of authenticity. And so they were acknowledged widely and they were included in our New Testament. How about the other traditions of authorship, about other claims about who wrote these books? There are no other traditions of authorship none you have to go late into the fourth century before you can find somebody who is questioning the authorship of the gospels and then what do you get it's faustus the manichaean and he has the great misfortune to live at the same time as saint augustine and saint augustine just takes him down it's brilliant um Augustine was trained as a rhetorician. He's a guy who knew how to speak. He knew how to connect with people. And Augustine did not spare Faustus. He just flays him, shows him to be ignorant. It's it's a tour de force. You ever want to just see somebody who knows how to do it and does it well, go read Augustine. So except for Hebrews and Revelation, we don't even have any disputes about authorship. There are no rival traditions within the church about these things a few of the gnostics complained about them but that's all so there the oldest and the best evidence is clearly in favor of apostolic origin even if paul composed the thoughts in hebrews and then luke wrote it up in a high style paul's an apostle it, we're following his thoughts what about the other gospels this Fine-looking fellow here is Dan Brown, who wrote a book called The Da Vinci Code, made into a movie with Tom Hanks. Uh, It makes fun novel material and fun reading, but you probably should not get your ideas about the Gospels from a work of fiction. This is especially true here. In The Da Vinci Code, Brown has one of his characters state with complete authority yeah well there were all these other gospels too and then the church threw them out and decided no 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 we're only going to sanction these but that was like something that happened when constantine was emperor up in the beginning of the fourth century that's the claim in the novel no when i talk about this for an audience of apologetics geeks i go into more detail on on this point but i'm just going to show you one and this is that chart. So here we go. It is a little bit hard, maybe, for you to see, but on this chart we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we have a whole bunch of other <clears throat> quote unquote gospels the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Truth, the Gospel of the Twelve, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Basilides, the Egyptians, the Hebrews, the Gospel of Matthias. And then we've got Clement of Rome, Ignatius, Polycarp, Marcion the Heretic, the Valentinian Heretics, Justin Martyr Irenaeus. Clement of Alexandria, and so on, out here. And what I want you to look at is just the check marks and the dots. Every check mark here is a place where the document is quoted or mentioned and treated as authoritative. The dots mean nothing. You got nothing. And X means it's mentioned, but only to be rejected. So I want you to look at the attestation that we have for Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke cited or quoted in Clement of Rome. Matthew, Luke, and John, and Ignatius. Polycarp, the bits that we have from his letters, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Marcion didn't like Matthew, didn't like John, ignores Mark, and he's... Does this funny thing with luke he takes the first two chapters off of luke and starts with chapter three where jesus comes down from capernaum he's like mm, jesus came down from heaven why did marcion do that and why didn't he like the other gospels well sad to say marcion didn't like jews i mean he really didn't like jews and these gospels were very jewish what is the theme of matthew's gospel jesus is the messiah he's the promised one that the old testament prophets have talked about if you don't like jews you're going to have a problem with that and so marcion just tossed out the gospel of matthew the early church when they discovered that he had done that and mutilated luke tossed out Marcion so Marcion one of the heretics who started out within the church and then got kicked out he doesn't like Matthew and John but he knows they're there and he doesn't like the beginning of Luke but he'll use some of the rest of it he just clipped out all the Jewish parts very strange the Valentinian heretics that's why I have them in red here they attest to all of those gospels compare this with like the gospel of Thomas what do we have for the Gospel of Thomas? These are chronological. Nothing, 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 nothing. Tertullian, no. Nope. Origin. Oh, Origin, 3rd century says, yeah, no, there was this Gnostic so-called gospel, but no. Similarly, the Gospel of Truth. Oh, wait, wait, there's a checkmark here. Yeah, but that's because it was a Valentinian heretical document and they liked it, so they quoted it authoritatively nothing else for a long time the contrast is stark and one of the reasons i'm drawing your attention to this chart is because i have sent and up on the church webpage with a link to this talk you will find a copy of this chart and every check mark and even every x is a hyperlink and when you click on it it will take you directly to a passage from ignatius or polycarp where they're talking about this document so rock this one go prove me right i want to see at least two clicks on that chart all right right. tell me right, marilyn's got me covered She's she's one i see that hand right (laughs) so this is for those of you who want to drill deeper but when somebody says what about the other gospels you can say yeah what about them i mean really what about them like you mean the ones that Nobody acknowledged or used or cited among the Christians for centuries. Those ones? The ones where the disciples say things like, Lord, tell us about the aeons and the pleroma. The aeons and the pleroma? Oh, that's Gnostic terminology. Newsflash. This was not a hot topic in culvers around the sea of galilee this is not what people sat around talking about this is gnostic teaching from the second century that's being put in the mouth of jesus at like a character in a play and the early christian church wanted nothing to do with it there's really no comparison the chart that i took this from and then i supplemented it by putting clement of Rome in as a column is a larger chart that does this for all of the books in the new testament and for more than just the spurious gnostic so-called gospels but for other writings as well so there's a link there too you can go and you can see that original chart made by glenn davis and then you can compare it to what i've got but check it out go click around once you've done that you will not fall off your chair when somebody says yeah well but what about all the other gospels right read any fiction lately okay And all of that being said. Why does it matter? Why does it matter to you? You're sitting here and thinking. I never have anybody ask me. What about the other gospels? That doesn't happen. Although you know what? It just might. I think there are two reasons. One of them is for ourselves. We need to have as Luke puts it in the prologue to his gospel. Confidence regarding the things that we have been taught. We need to know that our faith is is founded on fact and if we don't know that that's going to have two consequences one is a consequence for us now maybe you're sitting there saying oh but dr mcgrew i just accept the word of god on faith and i never have a doubt or a question god bless your soul that's sweet but life is hard And there may come times when that feeling of sweet assurance isn't there anymore. And you need to know, have I just been believing a lie? I have a friend who's been in ministry for many years, and he's had a hard life. Lots of things have been very tough for him. Reality hasn't been kind See, he spoke at one event once and he got in his car to drive away and he just broke down under the weight of all the things that were going wrong. Illness in his family, his inability to find a steady income, it just, it overwhelmed him. He just began weeping. And he said, this little voice in his mind said, just give it all up. Just, Just quit. And he said, I could not it because i knew too much because god has not left himself without witness i knew too much to just walk away and i would love for you at least to know that there are places you can go if you need more if you want to talk all the pastors have my email address i'll go out for coffee with you let's talk talk about questions talk about your doubts For others, we need to be able to show other people that we have not followed cunningly devised fables. You say, but no, I don't have to do that. I just have to invite my unsaved friends to my church. It's a wonderful church. They'll love it. It might not work out quite that simply. Christianity, folks, is an enormous comfort, but it can also be very painful. When Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. It's a hard sell. Want to tell that to your co-workers, to students at your school who are raising questions? Yeah, come, be a Christian. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. What does that mean? Oh, uh, it means be willing to die a death of torture. What? Wait, I I missed the part about my best life now. Where was that? Oh, it is. We're not denying that God intends the best for us. We're only wondering how painful the best is going to be. If you can't give a reason to come and die then you aren't giving a reason for the hope that is in you. And for that you're going to need more than saying it works for me because there are a lot of people who will say that about a lot of things. You need more than that. Let me just very quickly give you a couple of things. We'll do this quick. For ourselves, how can we find our reading of the Bible enriched? Just do two things. I'm going to tell you Something that you can notice about Mark, who wrote down from the preaching of Peter in Rome, according to our old sources. But if Peter's preaching in Rome, there have to be a lot of people listening to him who aren't Jews. Well, what do you find in Mark? He's a Gentile. He's writing for Gentiles. When Jewish customs and Jewish expressions come up in Mark, check this out. Get a copy of a Bible and look it up he explains the jewish stuff mark 2 is a story about the showbread and mark stops and he says "Anna, the showbread was reserved for the priests you don't tell a jew that the jew knows that already you tell that to gentiles mark 5 there's this expression talitha maiden arise he glosses it for them he tells them oh this is aramaic here here's what it means because he doesn't expect them to know aramaic Same thing in Mark 7, three times hand-washing, the term korban, the term ephatha, be opened. He's explaining them to them because his audience doesn't know. This is exactly what we would expect from someone who is talking about a Jewish rabbi, but not about something that his audience understands. Or take Luke. Luke's got all kinds of medical details that the other evangelists don't have. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. She had a fever the other said No, Luke says she had a great fever. He uses actually Greek medical terminology. There's a man who's a leper. Oh, no, his whole body was full of leprosy. Luke has more details. Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. Ah, it was his right hand, Luke says. Nobody else has this detail. Jesus not only was taken in the Garden of Gethsemane, not only did the high priest's servant's ear get cut off, Jesus touched his ear and healed him. Who's the person who's telling us all these medical details nobody else tells? Well, oh, just in the greetings of Colossians chapter 4, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you and Demas. Little things like that, little connections, small things, but dozens of them. And if you read your Bible with your eyes open, you'll see that we can tell from inside as well as from outside who these people were and to whom they were writing. I'm a professor, right? So I have to do this one. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. There's so much more. <laughs> there's so much more. But you will not thank me if I keep you here into mid-afternoon. And I, neither will my wife. So I will just close by reminding you of the words of an old hymn. A hymn that was actually penned in the 1700s. And yet some of you will immediately recognize it. Firm A foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. What more can He say than to you He hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Amen. Father God, you bid us come and take up our crosses and follow you. To come, to live, and if necessary, to die. Teach us to study your word, to see the evidence of your.